0: You're listening to audio from The Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about The Village, or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Yes, good morning. Today's focal passage can be found in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13. contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. This is the word of the Lord. You may now be seated, and the kids can be dismissed to their classes. I think I'll stand, but thanks, Liz. My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks so much for hanging out with us this morning. Uh, Employee Code of Conduct. Maybe that means something to you, maybe it means nothing to you, but the the idea of an employee code of conduct is something that uh, in modern times is something that many employers use to hold their employees accountable to live and act in a certain way. There are many teachers in this room, like a lot, I I think, Um, many students for sure. But, but also many teachers, and there are also many things that can get you fired as a teacher, right? And that's true in the classroom, the way that you conduct yourself relating to students and other teachers and other administrators, and that's also true in the way that you conduct yourself outside of the classroom, in your home, what you share on social media, social media and all the stuff. Um, NFL players, they have a code of conduct. All athletes do, but uh, they have to live within that code In their life, else they get fined or suspended or whatever. But but also on the field, in the way that they dress and the things that they do, and the way that they celebrate and all those things. And and there are many NFL players who decide to give away thirty thousand dollars just so they can wear different shoes on game day, and it's just wild. Or they get uh, a fine for wearing the wrong hat with the wrong logo at a press conference or whatever. That's a, a player code of conduct. Marvel, if you, if, I don't know, anybody serve in a Marvel film recently? Probably not, but if you were, you would have to sign, like, a very specific code of conduct and agreement. You you have to sign to multi, uh, multiple movies, and so, like, you're in, even if this one doesn't, whatever happens, multiple movies, reshoots, Shh, you have to be very quiet, and this is, like... There are leaks, and and some are more talkative than others, and so, like, they're on talk shows, and they they reveal things so much that when they're making movies, sometimes they don't even reveal the end game, right? Right? and, and they don't even tell them there are multiple scripts that they're working with. And they, they, the actors themselves, who are the ones like making the movie happen, don't even know what the movie is about until they see it in theaters, you know? And so uh, Thor and Captain America, the two Chris's Evans and Hemsworth, they can't do press conferences together because they get into all types of shenanigans. That's like contractually, they can't do them together. So I've heard. Disneyland. Lots of weird things that the employees of, of Disneyland, the characters, have to do or can't do. So much that they have to go through a training. Called Disney University to be, you know, discipled and learn the way of Disney. Like things that are just wild. Like, like you can't point with one finger. You have to point with two. And like, and all the reading on the internet is, I'm like, like why? No one knows. But they just only, they just can can only point with two fingers, not one. Uh, quote: They have to pick up trash gracefully. And so. If you throw something around them and they're one of the characters, they have to pick it up, but they have to do so gracefully. Uh, on social media, they cannot say that they are a character, and so, so you're not destroying children's dreams to think that they're actually life-size mice or whatever it is. Uh, so if someone posts on social media, they would say, hey, I'm friends with Goofy, I'm friends with Minnie, I'm friends with X character, and that's like code for them, you know? Like you know what I'm saying. Right? Uh, so uh, there, there are code words. Speaking of code words, if someone throws up on a ride, they're not going to be like, yeah, we got a vomiter." No, they're, gonna, they're not going to do that. They're going to say we have a, a code V. And they'll probably say it very politely. And someone, I promise, will roll their eyes and be like, oh, God. Not again. Right? They have to practice autographs in Disney University so it, you know, when, a, when, when someone asks a princess for their autograph, it doesn't look like they wrote it with their feet, right? So that there's some element of grace in what they're doing. They have to have natural hair colors, and, and the grooming is, is very detailed in the way that men have beards or, or whatever it is. And there are a couple lines that I think are important. They tell them that you are always in character. And that's important because you don't want like a headless duck walking around the park, right? Uh, You don't want to traumatize kids that way. You have to stay in character. And and what they say, quote, be who you are. And you have to stay in your world. So you can't be outside of your world in another like themed section because that just doesn't make any sense. And again, kids' heads might just explode, right? All the park is a stage, they say. And all that adds up, with, with the goal of the motto, to be the happiest place on earth. Why does Disney care? Why do they care that much? It's because they want the park to create experiences, to be a world where, where you'll spend money to make dreams come true. So the, the characters of the cast or the workers, they, they can't have their phones out. There's no such thing as a lost kid, only lost parents. Right, so if there's a crying kid around, like, hey, oh my gosh, is your parent lost? Like, you just like you get the idea. That's wild, and that's also like, hey, that's kind of neat, I guess. Regardless of the politics, and some of you are like, oh, I don't do dis. It's fine, right? I okay. Uh, uh, so regardless of the politics or the movies or like, hey, I like them or I don't like them. Good movies, bad movies, whatever. Um, regardless of the cost that it would take to get you there. The goal is that guest feel feels of welcome that gets people to forget about the realities of the world outside of the world within the land that they're in so that you spend money, right? So that you spend money. Two connection points for us today. If Disneyland can create a world within a world, the happiest place on earth, that's in game is to bring happiness to make money, then certainly those in the eternal kingdom, those who are in Christ, those, those Christians who are, who are living in this life, certainly those in the eternal kingdom can do our part to live in a way that legitimately portrays a kingdom yet to come, here and now, in a world within a world that is not yet our forever home. Certainly we can do that. And the second thing is this, if your local school board or the NFL or Marvel or Disney, who owns Marvel, uh, have training on how their employees live so as to not tarnish the reputation of the company, then surely the kingdom of God gets to train and pave the way for how its citizens live here and now. That's the idea of discipleship. That's why we're here. So that we get to behold this king and we get to live as citizens of this kingdom on this earth for as long as we're here. And believe me, there is way more on the line for us than anyone that works at a theme park. In a world not home, the church gets to take home on the road by living as citizens of a heavenly kingdom Here and now. And that's the main idea that we're talking about today. In a world not home, the church gets to take home on the road by living as citizens of a heavenly kingdom here and now. And so we're continuing in our series, Make Room, opening the door of hospitality. And today, we're looking at hospitality as life. Hospitality in, in all of the cracks and crevices of life. And we've, we've built out some things and we saw the hospitality from above, like in Christ, which is the anchor of all that we get to do. We've seen last week hospitality to the least. Today, hospitality as life. And next week, meant very, very practically hospitality together. How are we doing that together? And so I want to read this focal passage again, Romans Chapter 12, uh, 9 through 13. I'm going to read it in the CSB. uh, And so just to give a a little bit of a different uh, lens for a couple of these words. Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Do not lack diligence and zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope be patient in affliction, be persistent in prayer, share with the saints in their needs, pursue hospitality. Sometimes the hardest thing about preaching is application. That's not true today because all that is just go do this stuff, all right? And, and the other thing about preaching is there's a type of preaching which we, we call a running commentary that basically just reads the text and talks about it, right? And, and sometimes that's not always super helpful, but today, that's what we're doing, all right? So all right, so we have five points today, all right? And those five things are five ways of hospitality as life or basically how should the Christian live, right, in light of these things. The first one is this, love genuinely. We get to love genuinely. In the past few months here at The Village, We have talked a lot about love, and we did that through a series on relationships and and lots of other ways, but the emphasis here is on the manner in which we love. Like, how do we love? Love is defined in a thousand ways, and some of those ways are helpful and some some are unhelpful. There is enabling love, which loves in a way that actually ends up even harming the person that you're, you're loving. There's infatuating love, probably a love in which harms you, the, the lover, right? And, and it puts a, a, a love in you that elevates a person or whatever it is above anything else and that's what we call idolatry. That's, that's not good. There's love that shows up in ideal or in motive only, but not in practice, right? That's tough. And then there's the flip of that. It's, it's a love that if you looked on the outside, you would say, yeah, they're practicing love, but it doesn't come from the right place of heart or the right motive. So here... Paul tells us, he tells the Romans, and he tells us, love genuinely, love without hypocrisy. Like, don't be the hypocrite. Love genuinely, authentically, not in a fake or phony way. And there's, there's nearly no higher calling than living and loving consistently in belief, in word, and in deed. Indeed. Like, we all want that, and we certainly want that from the people around us. We want that from the people that we live with. We want that in our friendships. We want that in our politicians. We want that, we want, we want that in our pastors and, and in the people around us. We want someone to be who they are, to be consistent in belief and word and deed. He goes on, he says, not, not only love genuinely, but love each other as family. And some of you are like, oh, gosh, that's tough because... My family doesn't love so well, right? And so th- this is a, a, bit, a better picture of what, of what family is. It says, love deeply as brothers and sisters. In Christ, we are brothers and sisters of a loving dad. And that's why you get these people, and maybe there are some in this room, and it, it's totally fine, but like some... some uh, Maybe some old timers like this is brother so and so, and like in in the church, maybe you've heard people describe that way, and it's like huh? but at the end of the day, like they're probably more right than 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 they are wrong by doing that, right? They're they're trying to, to point out this doctrinal truth of adoption that we are sons and daughters of a good dad. So he says, live in love like that's true. Like blood family is really important, and there are lots of commands in Scripture about blood family, that that we are accountable to take care of our families, that that as children we get to obey our parents, that we get to be loyal to our families, that that uh, children get to care for aging parents. But but Jesus he reshapes genuine family and what that means, and it, and it's been said in a thousand ways. But but what it means is I have more in common with the elderly. Christian, Iraqi around the world who, who doesn't speak any English and, and has never been to this city or this country or, or I've never been there. I have more in common with her than a friend that I went to elementary school with and worked with for 20 years who doesn't follow Jesus. You say, how is that, how is that possible? It's because on the foundational level, there's something that, that that friend and I don't have that everything else is built upon. And there's something that, that me and that, that Iraqi Christian woman on the other side of the world that I've never met or wouldn't even really know how to interact with, we have a foundation that, that's the, the essence and the core of our lives now and forever. So the way we must think of our brothers and sisters in faith is, is we, uh, the way that we relate and the way that we interact with, the way that we disagree with in, in real life and even on the internet, the way we love them is absolutely different because of our shared identity in Christ. Like, I'm even discovering, I know that that God prioritizes his family, but in every passage that we've looked at, and the passage that we're going to continue to look at, there is a mindfulness of outsiders there, there is. There is a mindfulness on those that are outside, but, but all these, all the one another's in the New Testament is how we live and interact with one another, brothers and sisters. So he goes on, he says, outdo one another with honor. And I know what you're thinking. If you're American, you've been raised in this country, you know what the, the American vibe is, is you heard the word outdo and you're like, yes, got it. Outdo, got it. Uh, more money, Can do. Uh, better kids, got it. Cooler job, got it. More trophies, more degrees, more followers, bigger boat, nicer camper, better paint job, nicer landscaping, greener grass, bigger pool, rarer guitar or wine or shoes. And it's not just stuff. Serve, got it. Serve more, serve better, serve with more lights, with more acclaim, with more mentions, with more recognition. Win no matter what the game, got it. Outdo brothers and sisters. I can do that. I can outdo my brothers and sisters. In a world built around number 1, this it it just cuts right through the grain. Outdo one another in showing honor. Ah, I miss I miss that part. Outdo one another in in The way that you consider the value, the price, and the worth of one another. When your fellow neighbor, brother, sister wins, how do you respond? When they get the man of their dreams, what happens inside of you? The call is is to celebrate when their grass is greener, to compliment and look, I know what you're thinking, like, okay, I get it, like, through this grimace or this, like, but, but, but it's, it's not to compliment in a, in a phony way. Remember, don't simply love as the hypocrite, but genuinely and authentically, not through a fake smile, but, but for those who have been given much with, with genuine delight for, from the heart as you honor one another. And again, that's a call, but it's also like a reflection point to look inside and say, oh. like if there's anything I would encourage us to do as we deal with the expectations and disappointments in life, it's to ask the question, what is happening inside of me in this moment? And most of the time we don't ask that, we just let our emotions or our words or whatever just go, but, but if we're able to in the moment say, ah, oh, I'm crushed, whatever the reason, what is happening inside of me? What did I expect? What was I hoping? Gosh, what is happening inside of me? That's how we chase down our idols. That's how we chase down the the sin patterns in our life. That's how we chase down the broken parts of the things around us and and, in us. Secondly, be devoted to good. Like it's really simple. Hey, just be devoted to good. Oh, okay, like cling to what is good is what it says. Cling to what is, hold fast. Think of a, of a hot air balloon going up and you were holding the rope, but turns out you, oh, shoot, right? But what if that hot air balloon was good, right? You're going to hang on to that thing with all that you got. You're as if your life depended on it. Cling to what is good. <clears throat> out of the gate, we have to understand this. Good is Subjective What's good for you might not be good for me. <clears throat> so the way that we think of the world informs what you might call good and what you might call bad and, and what you might call indifferent. And what that is, that, that's called a, a world view, right? And so a worldview is a collection of attitudes. And values and stories and expectations about the world around us, which inform our every thought and action. So it's a collection of attitudes, values, stories, and expectations about the world around us, which inform our every thought and action. What do you believe to be true? Because whatever you believe to be true, it's going to show up in how you interact with everything else. According to a biblical worldview, to be clear, if God is God, then that's a good place to build all of our life. According to the scriptures, God is not only the author of good, he is good. And if that's so, then it might do us well to seek him, to seek his ways, to seek his wisdom on matters of All things social, relational, political, financial, and certainly in matters of obedience and clinging to what is indeed good according to who he is and who he has made us to be. We get to know him. We get to know that he is good. And we get to know what it looks like to cling to that which is good. In a world where Christians live, There are people who make a living tearing down other Christians. And look, I'm all for shining light in dark places. So these aren't blanket statements, but in a culture where as a follower of Jesus, you could be a writer or a blogger or a YouTuber or a TikToker, and your sole purpose uh, occupationally to make money is to expose where Christians fail That's tough. In a world where Christians live to tear others down in the name of division, or in the name of clarity, or in the name of love, or in the name of truth, or any such thing, what we get to do is we get to be devoted to good. We get to advance good. We get to consider what is good in light of a God who alone is good in in purest form. His essence is good. He is the definition, and the definition and description of good flows from his identity and essence alone. That's what a biblical worldview tells us. So everything else is defined, when it's defined properly, in association to him. He goes on. Well, how do we be devoted to good? Well, he says, don't be lazy. Don't, don't, Uh, Don't lose haste or eagerness or effort. Don't lack diligence and zeal is what it says. Don't be slothful. You know, sloths are super quick little shifty creatures. No. They're very, very, very slow. Don't Don't be lazy, don't be slothful in your passions, but be zealous for God and good. He goes on, be passionate in spirit. Again, not slothful, not slow, not ineffective, not unengaged or disengaged, but pursue the spirit. What does it mean to pursue the spirit? I don't don't know. But I think it could mean that we get to have a mindfulness about us, and a mindfulness of the Spirit at all times, which means we get to be aware of his presence in you, if you're in Christ, and and his work in, around, and through you always. Can you imagine remembering that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, that he is sanctifying us, setting us apart for holy use before God all the time, and you think about the frustrations in life. You think about the times when you don't put on these clothes. You think about like, oh, genuine love or, or uh, not lazy or passionate in, in spirit or serving the Lord. We'll talk about this. all these things. Think about what it means to, to, to live the life that you live, being mindful that the spirit is at work in you and around you and through you. That changes everything. And then he goes on, serving the Lord fervently passionately in devotion to good and a good God. Have this heart among you. Serve him, for he has certainly served us. Are you devoted to God? Because that's your only hope, to be committed to good. Thirdly, hate evil. Hate evil. There is a thing that, that... that we call righteous hatred. <clears throat> Psalm 97.10 says, you who love the Lord hate evil. You who love the Lord hate evil. So, so what does that mean? It means that we don't coddle it. It means that we don't make excuses for it in us or in a culture around us. It means that we don't condone evil, not even a sliver of it. It means that we don't hold it near in our hearts else we get burned by it. It means that we don't even, even let it uh, have a seed that it might grow. We don't get to let it grow. We get to slay it but, but hate evil. And the only thing I'll share under this point is, is just a, a quote from Charles Spurgeon. This is what he says. It says, the Christian faith is a binding force that prohibits hatred. Christ's spirit is one of love, and where it prevails, love follows naturally. Christians are not permitted to harbor hatred towards anyone. In in the past it was said, quote, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But Jesus countered, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who mistreat you. that, that's a that cuts across the grain of the world that we live in. The term hate has no place in a Christian vocabulary, except in the context of my message. His message was on Psalm 9710. Yes, uh, you who love the Lord hate evil. As a Christian, you have no right to nurture anger, to be malicious or unkind toward any being created by God. When you detest someone's sins, your focus should be on loving the person just as Christ loved sinners and sought to save them. i to go on. This should be on the screens. We are to love our enemies, but we are to hate God's enemies. We are to love sinners, but we are to hate sin as much as it is in the power of man to hate, so much are we to hate evil in every form and fashion. Got it? Hate evil? Can we move on? Whew! Rejoice in hope. We get to rejoice in hope. This is number four. Uh, Let your sure future control you in the present. Let whatever is is true, the promises of God, let those control you in the present. Hope is a powerful human condition. One of the melodic philosophers of our day, Billie Eilish, she says it uh, this way. She says, think, and I won't sing it, (laughs) I'll try not to. Let me clear my mind. Let me cleanse my palate. Think I forgot how to be happy. Something I'm not but something I can be, something I wait for, something I'm made for, something I'm made for. She forgot how to be happy. And further, the, the chorus of the song asks the question, what am I made for? And I think as I'm singing that in my car, I'm thinking, girl, if you knew that you were made to glorify God with every part of your life and every motive and every word and every melody, every dollar and all that you are, if you knew that you were made to bring glory to God, then, man, if we just keep reading here, then I think, and that's true for all of us, then I I think we could be patient in trial, which is exactly what he says. Rejoice in hope, patiently in trial, hold on tight to what is true so you can endure anything in this life without losing hope and joy in light of the fact that all the things that ought not be are mere light, momentary afflictions. But here's the thing, that, that doesn't ring true in the moment. You're not like, oh, this is light, I'm so this, but this is momentary. But in the scheme of all of days, all of the suffering, all of the trial, all of, all of the patiently waiting, enduring through the difficult things is light momentary affliction. Paul says it this way to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, so that we don't lose heart. What he's saying is so that you don't let go of the rope, so that you don't uh, forsake it, so that you don't throw it away, so that you don't give up, so that you don't lose heart for these light momentary afflictions are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen with our eyes in this world but that are unseen for the things that are seen, they're just passing through, but the things that are unseen, those are the eternal things. He goes on, be persistent or be constant in prayer and I'm telling you that these things hinge one to the other. Rejoice in hope, well how can I do that? Patiently in trial, Well, how can I do that? Understanding my purpose, understanding why that I am, that I get to live for the glory of God and and he is preparing me and if that's true, then I get to be persistent in prayer. Why pray? Because God holds all things together. Why would we not? How do I pray? With words to God, trusting Him in all things. When do I pray? Yes, the answer is always yes. Oh, my life, I don't, look. Ireland, what's your team's philosophy, of soccer? Like, no excuses, what is it? Uh, <laughs> Real gospel-informed motivator, but her, her uh, high school soccer team. Nobody cares, work harder, right? <laughs> but I, I'm busy, I, I have stuff going on. I, I, like, no one ca- there's nothing stopping you from praying. Like, get, get over yourself. I'm, I'm talking to me too. Just stop it. Oh, life is, what, your, your life sucks so bad that, it's, that you're too busy to pray? Stop it. Yes, always, in the background, it's like the running app. It's taking up some, some data, some memory, some RAM, whatever, just always, when you're leading a meeting, when you're driving, when you're being pulled over, when you, whatever it is, in the background, God, and, and sometimes we get to let that shift into the foreground and give him undivided attention. Say, God, here I am. You know what, I mean. If you want to rejoice in hope and be patient in trial, start here, just persist in prayer. Look, that is not at you, that is to me. I just let you in on it. Lastly, show hospitality. <clears throat> Contribute to the needs of the saints. Uh, one says it this way: Help needy Christians, be inventive in your hospitality. For those in Christ, all that you have, it, it isn't yours. It's not ours. It is the Lord's, and he allows us to use it for his name and for his renown. And again, you know, don't take the Lord's name in vain. What, what that, it's not about a word that comes out of your mouth. What that means is, is don't wear Christ's name and, and live as if you're, you are your own. Like he has stamped you and sealed you. And here's the thing. Everything that he's given you, all of it, kids, job, money, you name it, Like, if you look under it, there would be a, uh, this probably has an unsung salvage design stamp on it somewhere. Probably does, right, Justin? I'm sure it does. Everything is the Lord's. He has stamped it all. And what we get to do is we get to give it back to him. Look. So we open our, our lives and our homes and our calendars and our table and our bank to show others the welcome of God. And look, that's not easy and it's not convenient and it's not comfortable and it's not naive or foolish. But it's caring and kind. It's not, it's not love at the expense of truth. And it's not truth without heartfelt love. Those things play together in this kingdom. So three things that come to mind when I think of hospitality. One, pretty obvious, we're all thinking it, like Chick-fil-A. Because they're they're thoughtful problem solving to make life easier through a service that they provide. It's not lost on me when I go through the drive thru and I think, "Oh gosh," and I drop Kim off at TJ Maxx. She's like, "You want to run and grab us something?" And I'm like, "Oh, the line is so long." But like I'm like literally before she's even through the checkout line, right? I'm back. They figured it out, right? They're kind in the way that they think about solving traffic problems. And you might say, "Oh, that's no," I get it, bottom dollar business or whatever. But just think if if you or if we lived. To just help people rather than like be inconvenient for people. The second thing I think of is my daughter Ireland. I, I wanna throw this picture up here. Uh, I, this happened a long time ago, like 2020. This was Halloween night, right? And there were some people coming over and, you know, uh, friends and pizza or whatever. And then we go out walking in the neighborhood. And I walked up like half of my stairs, and I'm getting ready to turn and go up, and I saw this sign, and this is Ireland, who's 10, I don't know at the time, I didn't talk to you about that, I, sorry. Um, And it says, happy Halloween, candy trading in here, arrow up. And when I saw that, I thought, well, I'll use that in a sermon at some point in life, and today's that day. (laughs) But then I thought, like, isn't that it, like a little, a 10-year-old girl, one showing Clear signage on how to get from one place to the other. (laughs) And two, like, happy Halloween. Candy trading here. Now, you might think, like, man, that seems like a big event, but then look at the next slide. Look at the next slide. (laughs) Oh, there it is. See, you can't really see it. That's, that's it happening. That is the candy trading. That, like a, that's wild. There's a lot of people involved. There's a lot on the line, right? And so I think about that, creating visible expressions of welcomeness. That just came out of her because that's, that's what she does, right? Candy trading. So many others who are uniquely thoughtful and gifted as hosts, in the way that you consider others, in the way that you welcome neighbors, the way that you reach out and connect with and, and meet needs of one another. And there are a handful of people in this room who go out of their way to connect with new people. Like, that's really important. And next week, I think I will challenge us to be like, can we be more than a handful of people that do that? And I know you're awkward and insecure and you've been here for three months and I should know people, but I don't. But but there's lots of issues in that. But like, just go talk to someone. I, I just dare you. So there are many people who do that that go out of their way to meet the needs of one another, not in a a pretentious, Martha Stewart, opportunistic, self-serving way, but in a selfless, for the sake of others, the little things to make others feel welcomed, invited, involved, connected type of way. See, we get to grow in, in love and hospitality to one another when gathered like this, when gathered in homes throughout this week, community group. I was texting with somebody this week, and they're coming to community group for the first time tonight, and they're like, hey, you know, it's maybe gonna be around a while. I don't can, can you have strangers in your home. Is that weird? And it's like, at some point, like, I just had to text my address, right? <laughs> at some point, I said, yeah, you can show up, right? If you're in the room, man, I'm looking forward to hanging out with you. That's so what we get to do. We get to do that when we're gathered together and when we're scattered in all the days in between. And, and the third thing that I think of is the welcomeness of Jesus to open wide his arms to make a place for us. Before the foundations of the world, he's been preparing a place for you, for his people. Look, you know when someone knocks on your door and you're not prepared for them and you're like, Oh my, like, and then you just want to just murder people in your house because you're like, the pizza box, why is this not, you know? Maybe not. Maybe that's just me. Jesus has been preparing a place for his people before he made the world. When we get there, he's not going to be rushing around to clean up, it's thoughtful cares for you. He cares for us. He cares for his people. He cares about our place. And look, we're not going to be worried about we're not going to be worried about the furniture and if the bathroom's mopped. We're going to be blown away by the presence of a king. I have a bunch more to say. But how about we, we call it like this? One, read the, read the chapter of Romans 12 this week. And what we see on the front end of it is like how we're able to do this. That we get to be, uh, trans. We, we get to let the transforming grace of Jesus settle into us in a way that reshapes all of us to live lives of sacrifice and worship. Right? That's what you'll find in Romans 12, the beginning of it. And so I, I want to close out this way. Imagine being taken, blindfolded, whisk away, but not like in the taken type of way, but like in the, hey, some friends are having some fun, right? And maybe they throw you in a car and maybe even on a plane and they, they, they set you somewhere and it's probably warm, right? And then they take off the blindfold and there are gates in front of you and they say, I want you to push through these gates and I want you to tell me where you are and you push through the gates. How long would it take, do you think, for you to figure out that you're at Disneyland. I've never been there. I think I could figure it out, right? I think if I walk through the gates and I'd be like, hmm, now like, like how would they know? They're gonna know, how would they know, right? How, how would you know that you're in Disneyland? Well, you would see characters and, and princesses and ears and rides and laughter and ice cream. Now imagine with me that they opened that gate in every character there leaves those gates with the mentality that all the world is their stage and, and, and they're living out of this idea that, the, that, that they get to be who they are and they, they're, they're in the happiest place on earth, how would someone in this world know that Disneyland broke loose? It's because the, the disciples of Disney University would live, they would be living as citizens of that world in this world. You get it. Now imagine the same thing for the kingdom of God. This future reality that's sure and it's promised, it is set, it is being prepared for us. We're headed there if, if we are in Christ, but, but we are not yet home. And now we are a kingdom outside of its borders in this world. How will they know? How will they know? It's not because you wear Mickey Mouse ears. But it's by how we live kingdom hospitality as life individually and together. That's how they know. We get to articulate kingdom truths. We get to say words, right? The gospel is not just the way that we live. It is the truth that we, that we uh, herald and, and declare. But that truth is what transforms us. The way we live matters. The why we live matters. In a world not home, the church gets to take home on the road by living as citizens of a heavenly kingdom here and now. We get to respond to all that. You can do that right where you are. The bank can come on up. You can stand up and sing, you can pray over there at that prayer bench if you would like to by yourself. You can respond. You can pray with someone, they'll be standing over there, they would love to pray with you. If you're in Christ, we get to understand the welcome that's been given to us, that he opened wide his arms, his, his life, his kingdom, and his table. By doing the one thing that we could never do. He didn't do it by just being really nice. Right? Our mission is not just to go be kind like Chick-fil-A or Ireland Graham. That's not the thing. He died so that we could live. He became sin to let us overcome sin. And when we partake of this meal, the bread and the juice... That's what we're screaming. That's what we're believing. That's what we're beholding. We don't get to do this in a way that's flippant or, or casual. There's nothing casual about it. But we do this as a reminder to ourselves and a declaration to those around us that his body was broken, that his blood was shed so that we might have a seat at his table and that we might, to get, that we might get to be a part of his kingdom here and now, but ultimately forever, and I promise, it will blow the pants off the happiest place on this earth. God, thank you for your kindness and your grace. Thank you for those in this room. Would you just even in subtle ways, begin to show us how we get to live this out? Would you challenge us by the spirit that is inside of us right now? Would you begin to, to, to conform us, to transform us by your overwhelming grace? God, we need you in Jesus' name.